So what we want to do is we're going to finish up our uh, series in promises today. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and grab it and open up to uh, the book of Psalms. We are in Psalm 112 this morning. And uh, we have been in this series looking at the uh, character of God and who He is, the way that He's revealed Himself to us in Scripture. And I think it's a helpful reminder for us this morning that as we come in here and we worship each week, we're not just coming in to have some um, you know, spiritual experience or we're not just uh, kind of thinking about or sort of setting our attention on some higher, uh, just you know, generic higher being or, or some um, you know, sort of cosmic force or something like that. The, the, the God that we have just been spending our morning worshiping, the God that we are about to see in Scripture has specifically revealed himself through his word, and he's revealed to us who he is. He's shown us himself. And so we have the ability to know him because he has made himself known to us. And so last week we saw um, uh, that he is always faithful was the, the quality, the characteristic that we saw. But we've seen through this that he's good, that he's always powerful, that he's always present, that he's always working, that he's always victorious, that he's, I mean, we've seen these themes around who he is. And these are great reminders for us of this God that we worship. But what we want to do this morning to just kind of wrap it all up and kind of put a bow on it, if we can, is see the way that we, then as men and women of God, want to respond to this God of promises. So we're calling this morning uh, responding to the God of promises. We've seen all this promise. So the question that we want to answer then is what difference then does it make in our life? What, what impact does it have on us? And uh, the perfect psalm for this is uh, the, the, the psalm that follows the one we looked at last week. Last week, we looked at Psalm 111. This morning, we're in Psalm 112. And these two psalms are connected. Uh, they're meant to go together. They're sort of like this pair of psalms. And uh, this pair of psalms uh, works in concert together, whereas last week is all about God and who he is and why he's worthy of our worship and why he um, is so great. This week is all about the man or woman of God and why why one who puts their attention, who puts their, sets their heart, as we just sang, who uh, focuses on God, who fears God, who follows God, what difference does that make in their life? And this is the thing that I think we're going to see um, kind of ring through uh, this psalm this morning. I would encourage you to write this down if you're taking notes. It's this, that there is great blessing found in responding rightly to God. And this is what we want to do this morning. We want to respond rightly to God in the way that he has made himself known to us because there is great blessing in that. And I believe this. I believe human life, if we're just kind of step back, at some point we've either asked the question or should ask the question, like, what's the point of all this? Like, what's, what's the point of the lives that we live? What's the point of, of this life that you, you live? Uh, I think we all kind of think through that at some point. Well, I, think, I believe this, that human life, the lives that we live, it makes the most sense and has the most purpose when it's lived in relation to the God that created us. Because really, I mean, I say this all the time, like play it out a little bit. Like if everything that the Bible says is true, which we believe it is, right? If everything that the Bible says is true and God really is the creator of all things, that he made you and I, and he made this world that we live in, and he put down his purposes for it, and he had some ideas about how it should go and the way that it should move and the way that it, like he has all these ideas, then it is best lived in understanding and in view of him and who he is 
and the way that he has made himself known. Psalm 112, it begins this. It says in verse 1, it says, Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who delights in his commandments. As I said, this is kind of a twin psalm with Psalm 111. It begins the exact same way. Praise the Lord. Everything that we're looking at, everything that we've been doing even this morning, but especially in this passage, is framed up by this desire to praise the Lord, to give him the glory that he is due to tell him how great he is, to tell him how awesome he is. And when we live in relationship with him and in response to him, that is when the lives that you and I live make the most sense. And see, if we're honest, there is. There's so much of our days, so much of our weeks that um, we're not necessarily consciously thinking about God and who he is. I mean, in some ways we are, but there's other times that we're just kind of, we're doing our thing. But the more and more that we recognize everything that we're doing in relation to him and who he is and the way that he's worked, it begins to align all of the purposes of life. Everything that is begins to be seen through this filter. And so we see that, that he's calling to and um, setting this, this picture of the man who is blessed. Let's read it together and then we're going to walk our way through it. It says this, Blessed the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments, His offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house and his righteousness endures forever. Light dawns in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious and merciful and righteous. It is well with the man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice. For the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid. Until he looks in triumph on his adversaries, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn is exalted in honor. The wicked man sees it and is angry. He gnashes his teeth and melts away. The desire of the wicked will perish. You see, all of this, all of this is just pointing to I think this place that we would want to get to that is a place of blessing, a place of contentment, a place of happiness, if you will, right? But it's, it's, it frames it up, and where is that found? Where do we look for that? And it's all framed in relationship to the Lord. So as I said last week, who God is this week, who the man of God is. We're going to see this together. I think it's going to be helpful for us and help kind of, again, Give us some action based on all these weeks that we've been looking at the character and quality of God and these promises that he's laid out for us. Let me pray, and then we're going to walk our way through this um, together. God, we want to hear from you this morning. And God, we want to, we ask that your spirit would instruct us, that you um, would be teaching and leading us now as we open your word this morning. God, you're so good to us. You have revealed yourself to us. Um, you've shown us yourself here in your word. And so, God, I ask that you would teach us now. We want to posture our hearts in such a way that we, um, we recognize our need uh, for you and for your working. God, we need direction. We need purpose in our life. We seek that many places. But, God, we just want to start and recognize that it is found, first and foremost, and ultimately only <laughs> in you and the purposes that you have laid out for us. And so, God, I just pray that you would show that to us now. Teach us, we ask, in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. 
All right. Well, um, similar to last week, this is also an acrostic. And if you remember, an acrostic is uh, the fancy way of saying that every line of this poem, of this scripture, um, begins with a different Hebrew letter in order, okay? So there's the first, just like last week, the first uh, kind of line, and then after it, every line, so we don't see it in our English, but in the Hebrew, it's the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet that kind of go through in this, and all of it is pointing to this, this man, this woman, who is blessed. It begins, it says, blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who delights in his commandments. So right there, we see right off the bat, verse 1, um, how and where the blessed life comes from. We're going to call this the making of a blessed life. There's sort of two marks, two, two places that the making of a blessed life uh, comes from. And, uh, and, and, and the first is this, the making of a blessed life comes from uh, fear of the Lord. It says, blessed is the man who fears the Lord. Now, there's a couple words that I think we need to unpack here to make sure we understand what this psalm is saying and what it's not saying. Uh, First, and and probably the most important word that we have to understand is that word blessed. That is a major word that you see throughout the psalms, um, and it speaks to, uh, it's kind of the idea of happiness, it's contentment, it's peace. It's not quite as deep and sort of um, maybe as uh, foundational as joy, but there is uh, just like things are right, things are, are good, Uh, Things are in a place. And what doesn't mean is it's not this uh, continual state of bliss, right, where there's no other range of emotions. So it's not saying, hey, um, blessed is the man or sort of always happy is the man who, because we see even Jesus himself, right, went through a range of emotions. He grieved the the loss of his friend. Um, He was angered over the injustice he saw in the temple. Um, We see him uh, also experiencing emotions. He experienced sorrow for sure. And so it's not just this constant state of, 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 only happiness, but it's saying that there is blessing for what? The man who fears the Lord. Now, this psalm, just to kind of, if I could um, kind of set something for us, it's going to help our understanding this morning. This, this uses masculine pronouns and uh, this kind of speaks to the man of God. Um, I'm going to kind of follow the language of the Bible, but can we just like, can we just be on the same page with this? It's, it's not the psalm who doesn't cut out half of the room. It's talking to the men and the women. And so that's just the way the language of the Bible works. I know sometimes people get a little like, oh, why doesn't it say man and woman? It's just, it's kind of, it's, it was, remember, they didn't have like word and printers and copiers, like, so if they were writing man and woman every time, like, by, <laughs> by hand, so it's sort of, it's just a lot quicker to just uh, speak to the masculine and speaking to mankind, right? So hear that. So blessed is the man and woman who fears the Lord. That's the next thing we need to see is what is this fear of the Lord? I like this definition. This is one of, you could, there's a lot of the definitions you could use, but it's this. I think fear is uh, kind of best understood here as a right attitude toward a holy God. It's a right attitude toward a holy God. What is that right attitude? Well, fear of God kind of couches itself in awe, in reverence, in respect. But ultimately, I think fear leads us to action. What do I mean by that? Well, let me kind of illustrate it this way. Um, many of you know I, I, um, I love uh, to work with my hands. I don't get a, a chance to do that quite as much as I, I used to, but I, I built homes throughout uh, college. Kind of that was my job, kind of paying for school. I would work, work my tail off in the summers and love to work with power tools. Any chance I have to be able to buy a new power tool, I don't have very many reasons, but if I can, I do. And so I have a table saw, and I love the table saw. When you need a table saw, the table, only a table saw will work. 
right? Because those of you that have used a table saw, if you've got a long piece of wood you need to rip down, like that's, that's just really the only way to get it and use it um, straight. But here's the thing. I first started using table saws when I was in shop class in high school, and we had a big old table saw. And, um, and the table saw, uh, it deserves a certain amount of fear. Um, I learned that early on. I had two friends in high school that uh, sliced their finger open on the table saw. I know some of you will get queasy if I go into any detail, so I promise you I'm going to spare you from any of that, okay? So no details on that, but it did not go well for them. And so early on, as I was learning how to use a table saw, I learned that there's a certain way that you respect that you fear the table saw. There's things you do with the table saw and things you don't do with the table saw. So you got to make sure that guide is locked down. You got to make sure that uh, there's no like kind of clutter around the area, that the board you're working with isn't kind of wobbling. Otherwise, it could bind on it. You got to have, you should wear some eye protection uh, because things can kick back. You got to, and then most importantly, obviously, your hands need to be in certain places. Like there's places on the table saw that you want your hands and there's other places that you do not not want your hands, right? And if that blade's too high and you kind of are not are being careful. But here's the thing. When I say that I fear that table saw, I'm not saying that I'm so afraid that I can't go near it, I can't use it, I won't use it. It's that I have this proper understanding of what it is, what it can do, and it leads me to respect and, and my actions are changed because of my fear of what it can do. See, this is the understanding that you and I need to have when we read this. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord. You see, fear ultimately leads us to act differently toward a holy God. So how I think about God, how I interact with God, the things that I do and don't do, should be informed by my awe, my reverence, my respect of him. And so he is not just our pal. He's not our buddy In his word and in his grace, he calls us his friend, but he's not a friend like you and I. He is still a holy and righteous God, and he is worthy of our fear. And fear is the the word that we see throughout Psalms. It's repeated. Jesus uses. um, He he, he also talks about that. We see this, this idea, this concept of right respect, right awe, right reverence of God. And so my question is for us, do we... Fear the Lord. Do we fear the Lord? I think many of us would say yes. Let's see why we would fear the Lord. Let me show us a couple other places here in Scripture. If you scan your eyes back up, this is how Psalm 110 ended, and this is how Psalm, or sorry, Psalm 111 ended. This is how Psalm 112 begins. Psalm 111 verse 10 says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have good understanding. His praise endures forever. This is similar to the language that we see in the Proverbs, Proverbs 1.7, which kind of frames up, this is sort of the theme verse for all book of Proverbs. It says this, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, and fools despise wisdom and instruction. So these two verses are clear in their understanding that if you want knowledge, if you want wisdom, the place that you begin, the place that you start is a right attitude toward a holy God. Awe, respect, reverence, it's framed as fear. We fear God. Proverbs 28, 14 kind of shows the two paths that we have to choose, right? It says this, Blessed is the one who fears the Lord always, but whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. Two paths with two different 
destinations. The one who fears the Lord always is blessed. The one who hardens his heart toward the Lord, the destination is calamity. There is two paths, two choices. So I asked the question, I said, do we fear the Lord? Many of us, I'm guessing, would say, yes, you're here this morning. It's Sunday morning. It's a beautiful day in Wisconsin. There's lots of other places you could be, lots of other things you could do. I'm guessing that there is some level of fear of the Lord in your hearts this morning. But here's, let me actually ask the question a little bit differently then. Where in your life would show a lack of fear? Is there any place in your life that evidence, that evidences a lack of fear? You see, it's pretty easy to see and understand sometimes when I'm using the table saw, don't tell my wife, especially my kids, I don't always get those safety glasses on. I'll kind of squeak by with that. Uh, sometimes I've been trying to push through a board that's a little maybe too big and, and, and it's a little, little risky in kind of the way that I'm trying to do it by myself. But I always keep my hand clear of that blade, right? I've never tested that. See, I think sometimes we're similar with the Lord. There's certain things that we would say, yes, for sure, 100%, always acting in fear. But other places, maybe, maybe the actions, the choices that we make, the things that we do would say that we do not fear the Lord as we should. We're cavalier, we're careless, we, are, we make assumptions, we presume upon His grace. Well, the man who is blessed fears the Lord, a right attitude toward a holy God. Proverbs 28 again says, always, always, do we always fear the Lord? That's the first making of the blessed life. The second is right there in verse 1 as well. It says, who delight, greatly delights in his commandments, greatly delights in his commandments. You know, I don't think we often think about um, necessarily delighting in rules or uh, instruction for us. Um, I think by nature, most of us tend to be um, kind of break the rules in certain situations. Not all of us. Some of you are like letter of the law all the time, always following. Um, you, you know who you are, um, you ones. Um, but um, the uh, Psalm uh, 19, 7 through 9, kind of paints a picture of why we would delight greatly in the law of the Lord. Let's look at it together. Um, we'll put it up here on the uh, screen, Psalm 19, uh, verse 7 through 9. Uh, it says this, praise, uh, nope, there it is. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous all together. You see, when we're called to delight in God's commandments, this is why. We're going to keep this up on the screen for us for just a second. But you see this. These are the descriptions, right? God's word, his commandments for us, they revive our soul. They make us wise. They rejoice our hearts. They enlighten our eyes. It endures forever. And this is where God's righteousness is seen where we get a picture of who he is and his character. You see, there is great reason to delight in the commandments of God. But some of us, if we're honest, would say that we don't always view the things that God has instructed and said, the things that 
Some of them maybe are easier. Others are harder, and they're more in that duty category. And there is a difference between duty and delight, right? Um, Just like your job, my job has parts that are full of duty. Others are full of delight. Can I just be honest for a second? I don't love every part of my job. Do you feel the same way? Maybe. I think so. Probably, right? All right, I'll tell you why. I'll tell you one thing I don't love about my job. Expense reports. I do not like expense reports. I never have. I don't think there's anything that will make it kind of more fun. We've got a great system in place, makes it really easy. It doesn't even take that long, but I still, I loathe them. I just, I just don't want to do expense reports. Now, I recognize the need for it, right? We want to take a good accounting of wherever uh, the resources of our church are going. And so um, we, as all the staff, everyone you know, that, that um, is spending anything, like has full expense report on everything. We take the time, we do it. So hear me on that. I do it, but it's duty, Okay. There's never been a morning that's like, man, I cannot wait to do my expense report. I love doing expense reports, said no one ever, right? That's never been said, right? Now, on the other side of it, there are some parts of my job that I really do love. And one of the things that I really love to do is I love to be with people. And hopefully that doesn't come as a shock or a surprise to you. As a pastor, that's a great place to love. I love being with people. And, and some of you, it's, it's so funny because you'll, you'll call or you'll ask to like meet or get together or talk or whatever, and you're, you're so apologetic. You're like, I'm sorry, I know you're so busy. I'm like, what do you think I'm busy doing? I'm being with people. Like, that's part of my job. I have a great job. Part of my job is I get paid to be with people and to minister to people. And so don't ever feel like you are taking away time from my week. What else would it be going toward? It's going toward people right? There's tons of other things happening, certainly, but that is one of my favorite things to do is to be with people. It's a delight. And so, so many times I think we do, we take the commands of God and we put them squarely in the duty category and we don't put them in that delight category. How do we move from duty to delight? Well, we've said it before, but so many times there is, there's things that God has said in his word that he's decreed, that he's told us that are difficult. And so it's going to take discipline. There are times that we just have to choose. We're like, okay, I'm going to follow even if it's difficult, even if I don't necessarily feel like it right now. But what I think you'll find is as you discipline yourself in the commands of the Lord, you'll move to that place of desire and you'll find yourself desiring to do them more, wanting to do them more, a little less challenging to do. And pretty soon you'll find yourself in that category of delight where you will be delighting in the commands of the Lord. It is a joy It's a blessing. It's an honor. It is fun to do what God has called me to do in this place. This is the picture of the man who is blessed. And so happiness, contentment, fulfillment comes to the man, to the woman who does these things, who fears the Lord and who greatly delights in his commandments. This is where this blessed life is Found. What does the blessed life look like? Well, let's call it this. Let's call it the markers of a blessed life. That's what the rest of the psalm unpacks for us. We want to move quickly through it and just see what does this blessed life lead to? What is it? What does it look like? Well, these aren't exhaustive, but this are some things that, that it's saying to the man, to the woman of God who fears the Lord, who follows his commandments that will come to be. Verse 2, it says this, His offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures 
forever. The first marker we see of the blessed life is this. It's blessing for the home. We see blessing for the home. And I don't know about you. I think that sometimes we come to verses like this and we get a little bit nervous. Why? His offspring will be mighty in the land. Wealth and riches are in his house. That's quite a claim. We get a little nervous when we see that. Why? Well, because this hasn't always been our experience, right? We know godly men and women who have children, who have strayed, who are not mighty in the land, right? Who are not upright. The generations have have veered off or away from. And so we see these godly parents and then we see the kids kind of running in different ways. Where, how, how does that happen? But then also we see, it says, wealth and riches are in his house. Is this saying that everyone who follows the Lord will be wealthy and there will be riches and there will be great financial blessing in this way? Is that what this is saying? Because certainly that has not been our experience, hasn't been my experience. I've traveled uh, to uh, many other countries. One of them is uh, Swati down in the southern part of Africa. And I met some of the most godly men and women there. And let me tell you, they did not have wealth and riches. Uh, the, uh, no matter where you would find yourself financially this morning, I promise you, you have more than some of the people that I met there. And they were following after the Lord. So sometimes we get nervous about this because it just it doesn't been our experience. The other reason we get nervous is sometimes we've seen it's seemingly the wicked receiving the same blessing. We're like, man, that, ha- that family looks so happy. They've got everything together, and they're not following after the Lord. What gives, right? Why is that the case? Or we see those that are, are, are cheating and stealing and, and, and twisting, um, you know, the, not following the commands of the Lord, not fearing the Lord, and they seem to be uh, pretty well off. There's plenty of wealthy people that do not follow, that do not know the Lord, and so are they receiving the blessing? Like, what, is, what does that mean? What do we do with that? The other reason we get uh, a little nervous about this, and we should, is we want to guard ourselves against any sort of understanding that would lead us into the prosperity gospel. That is that if we follow God, it's going to lead us to health, wealth, happiness, and that's it. That's the destination. That's what we're going after. And if you don't get that, then that's on you because God wants that for you. He wants everybody healthy, everybody wealthy, and everybody just doing great, right? That's what the prosperity gospel is. That's not what the gospel of Jesus Christ would say. And so what do we do with these verses? Well, I think first we have to understand this, that these are not stated here as guarantees absolutes in all situations at all times and in the understanding that you and I might first read it, okay? So this is not a guarantee that the offspring, the generations of the godly will be mighty in the land and will be upright and be blessed. But what it is saying, or actually let me say what else it isn't first. It's also not a litmus test of the faith. It doesn't mean that if your kids... Those of you that are raising kids, maybe they're little, maybe they're grown. If your kids stray, that somehow you, that's on you, and you didn't raise them up in the faith, and you did something wrong. And it's not saying that this is the end goal for every person, that every person would have offspring mighty in the land, that every person would have wealth and riches in his house. That's not what it's saying. What it is saying, though, is it's saying that there is a direction that God gives toward these things, and that he is the giver of all good gifts. And so if you find yourself with children that are loving the Lord, following the Lord, just like you, 
that that comes from the Lord. That is God's gift to you. If you find yourself with some financial resources, with wealth, with riches, that that is ultimately from the Lord. And God does give general blessings. He doesn't just give it to the righteous. He gives it to others. That's why we see those that are far from the Lord enjoying some of those things. There is his general grace at work in our world. But what this is saying here is that you are putting your family, your home, your life in the best place to receive from God the gifts that he would give. And so that first is, it is a blessing for the next generation. If you raise up your children in the Lord, you are placing them in the very best position, in the very best posture to be able to receive the Lord and to follow him. But Proverbs says, train up a child in the way he should go. When he, was, when he is old, he will not depart from it. Again, not a guarantee. It's saying, listen, if you train your child, then he will be able to receive. That is putting him in a great spot, but there's still right personal accountability. Like He needs to decide. She needs to decide. When it comes to that financial blessing, let's be careful how we define wealth and riches. He has said that he would provide for all of our needs. He did not say that he would provide for all of our wants, <laughs> right? We sometimes think and we assume that we are not wealthy or we are not rich because we are not whatever the next income bracket is, whatever the next thing is. And let me tell you, it doesn't matter how much you have, there's always like ways to spend more. Like, well, if I just had a little bit more, just had this, just had that, right? So we always look and we always think. We don't look down and see like, well, maybe, maybe we've been blessed in this way. Maybe we have this. Or maybe we have exactly how much God wants us to have. And maybe this really is wealth and riches. Or maybe, maybe we're defining it incorrectly here. You see, because the wealth and the riches, we're going to see in a minute, but they're given to the one who deals generously and lends to others. That is where the wealth and riches come from God and are used for others. You see, there's this direct connection with the blessing that we're giving has been given that we would be able to bless others through it. And we don't always get this. I think we don't get this at a young age. I think we grow up in the same way. It's like the bully who's like in third grade, who's extra large, you know, that big, that big kid. Maybe you had him in your class when you were in third grade, right? And that kid just, like, he didn't do anything to be big. He was just kind of given that. But he chose to use it for his own gain and his own domination of the playground and his own controlling of the games or whatever it might be, right? And he was the bully, didn't use it as a blessing for others. In the same way, some of us, we've received from the Lord blessings and we would be in the wrong, we would be heading down the wrong path to use that for personal gain, not to bless others. Because here's the truth. Listen, we have to know this, that money Financial resources can be either a gift or they can be a God. And if we are not careful, we will turn them into a God and we will not see them as a gift from the God who is God and the giver of all good things. And so we see that there is blessing for the home. Again, not guarantees, but we posture ourselves to receive from the Lord exactly that which we need. Right? So I'm not saying we're all going to go out and find more zeros in our bank account by living in fear of the Lord or following and delighting in his commandments. That's not the promise here. And again, it's not a promise for parents that all of their kids will follow the Lord. Many of us together, we're praying for the children in this church, the children that are still young. Many of us are praying for grown children, right? 
How many of us are praying for that, praying that that children that know, that should know the truth, that heard the truth, that they would return to the Lord, and we need to trust that God is going to use his work in their life to bring them to himself, but this is what we are about. This is one of the markers of this blessed life is there is blessing for the home. It's a gift from the Lord. Let's look at the second gift. It's this. It's blessing for others. The one who is who fears the Lord, who delights in his commands, is a blessing to others. Verse 4 says this, Light dawns in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious and merciful and righteous. It is well with the man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice. We said that this is all about the man or the woman of God, right, that's following after the Lord, that fears the Lord and following in his commandments. Verse 4 then strikes us as a little bit odd. I think the ESV, which I really like the translation almost all of the time, I think this verse is a little bit confusing. I think there's some other translations that handle it better. I believe the best understanding of this verse is the righteous man is like light to others in the darkness. That's kind of what our name is, right? City on a hill says, let your light shine before others that they will uh, see your good works and in turn give glory to your Father is in heaven. We are called to be a city on a hill. That is what I think the righteous man is to those in darkness. He is like light dawning in the darkness for the upright. And now we see all these descriptions that were used in Psalm 111 to describe God now describing the righteous man, that he is gracious, that he is merciful, that he is righteous. Not only that, but now he has been made generously, generous and lending, and he's conducting his affairs with justice. It's amazing to see the character that was assigned to God now being applied to the man of God. How can this be? Where does this happen? Well, we tend to be and, and act and live like those who we look up to, who we respect, who we spend time with. Uh, show of hands, let's be honest here. Can we have a moment of honesty in church, right? Show of hands, how many of you have ever done something in your life that was just like your mom or your dad? And you know it, you know it. Yeah, almost every hand, almost every hand. The rest of us maybe just don't want to acknowledge it. I've done that, certainly. I love my mom and dad, but there's been times that I've done something. I'm like, man, that was just like my mom or that was just like my dad. I thought I would never do that, and here I'm finding myself doing the exact same thing, right? We spend time with them. We model things after them, even things that we don't intentionally want to do. We're just like our parents in that. See, the amazing thing is the more that we follow closely with the Lord, the more that we fear His command or fear Him, the more that we delight in his commands, we are shaped to become and look like more and more like him. We begin to reflect and resemble his character. That's why it would be said of the righteous man, the righteous woman, that he's gracious and merciful, that that righteousness would be seen. Furthermore, that there's generosity and there's justice. You know, we have a lot of talk in our world today about justice, and it's kind of going every which direction. Let's make no mistake about this. God is very concerned with justice. He is the God of justice. And he puts protections in for that in his law and in his commandments. Do you know that there was um, limits and in, in, in protection, prevention actually, of interest in the Israel nation? They were not allowed to charge interest in just about every situation because he was protecting those that needed. He wanted his people to be generous with each other and to provide for the needs. He's very concerned with justice. We need to be careful that our version of justice resembles his version of justice, but we need to be about justice where we see injustice and there's ways that we can address it, the man or woman of God. 
is a blessing for others in that way. We're generous. We help those in need. How many times do we have opportunities with those around us to be able to bless others? God's given us the ability to. Would we take those opportunities and build that in? You know, I share this as a, just an example, not as a way, I hopefully you hear my heart in this. I'm not trying to in any way um, uh, flaunt or sort of pump up something that Bree and I have done. We actually had this modeled for us, and it's been such a great thing. But we actually, in our budget, we have um, just a, um, uh, we call it like acts of love, uh, envelope, little, you know, sort of uh, section in our budget. And um, over the years, we've been able to put more money in that as our, um, you know, resources have increased or, or whatever. It started really small. It was just maybe, you know, 10 bucks here, 10 bucks there or something. But we have um, a, a thing set aside. And what that is, that is actually a place that we keep money set aside for needs that arise around us. And so if we get that letter of someone who is going on a trip and needs, you know, that mission trip or whatever that needs, I did youth ministry for a long time, so I got all of those letters, right? And so um, we get that letter, we are able to, if there's a need that comes up or someone who you know that, that is in, in a spot and they're just in a tough spot and we've got something, we don't have to talk, we don't have to figure it out, we've already set that money aside, we know, and there's in that, again, hear my heart in that, not to brag in any way, but I would just encourage you to think, how are you being intentionally generous to those around you, the needs that arise around you. You see, one of the markers of this blessed life is being able to then bless others. Like a light dawning in the darkness for the upright, we have an opportunity to represent the grace of God, the mercy of God, and the righteousness of God in the way that we deal with others. The third marker we see, let me show it to you, or let me give it to you, and then I'll show it to you in the text. It's this, it's blessing through difficulty. Blessing through difficulty, verse 6, for the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. Verse 7, he is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. There is a confidence and there is a security found in trusting the Lord. Some of y'all need to underline, highlight, circle verse 7. What a verse for this year, huh? He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. We have had our share of bad news, right? And we hate getting bad news. Some of you know that feeling. Have you ever had someone say, hey, I've got, I got some bad news for you, or I got to talk about something tough? Instant pit in the stomach. At least I do. I feel like I'm like, oh, like I just, I, physically, you feel that. Or when someone says the worst, I've hey, got some good news and some bad news. Which do you want? I'd love to hear, you know, we don't have time for it, but yeah, what do you want? That good news, the bad news first? Some of us are like, give me the good news and then I'll take the bad or whatever. Take me to the bad first and then I'll, you know, let's rip the band-aid off and then we can kind of sweeten it up with the, with the good. But we know what it's like to receive bad news. Some of us, we've become pros at doom scrolling this year, right? Just reading all of it. And here we are again. Oh my goodness. Well, all the, all the talk, what's coming now? Are we, are there masks coming back? Is the, what's the Delta variant doing? Um, what, what, you know, what mandates, what, what, what's the caseload here? All this stuff. We all know, right? We're spending time. We're seeing that. And so we get all of this bad news and what is it doing to us? How is it affecting us? How is it shaping us? What verse seven says is the man who fears the Lord, who delights in his command is not afraid of bad news. Why? Because his heart is firm. He trusts in the Lord. Listen, this is a helpful truth for us. We need to understand this. When you fear the Lord, there is nothing in your life that needs to be feared that way. 
There's nothing else in your life that needs to be feared that same way. When you fear the Lord, nothing else in your life needs to be feared that same way. If you don't fear the Lord, it might be a different situation, a different story, right? It says that, Proverbs 28 again, right? That those who harden their hearts, it ends in calamity. But when you fear the Lord, there is, we are not afraid of bad news. Our hearts are firm. We trust in the Lord. He's gonna work it out. He's got a plan. He's bringing this about to completion. He will get it done. And so there's blessing through the difficulty. This is a marker, a marker of the blessed life. And let's see the fourth. It's this. It's blessing despite opposition. Verse 8, his heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph at his adversaries. That is, until the opposition is over, he will be secure. He will not move. He will not be afraid. Why? Verse 9, he's distributed freely. He's given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn is exalted in honor. The wicked, they look on and they see all of this. The wicked man sees it and is angry. He gnashes his teeth and melts away. The desire of the wicked will perish. Listen, Scripture chose two paths with two very different destinations. You have the righteous, those living in fear of the Lord and delighting in his commandments, and those living in opposition to him, hardened in his ways. And it does not seek to candy coat where these destinations are going. We need to wrestle with this. Our hearts should break for those who are far from the Lord. We do not gloat. We do not, uh, uh, you know, kind of revel in this, that there is, that the opposition will be overcome. But we can be confident in this, that when opposition arises, that God is at work in it, that he is doing and working in all things, that the victory will come. Listen, our hearts are steady. We are not afraid. The picture that we see throughout Scripture is those who are far from the Lord, tossed to and fro, right? They're likened to chaff, which blows away in the wind. They're likened to that uh, building, which is not upon a firm foundation and shifts and, and moves. But what is the righteous man? What is the righteous woman? It's firmly planted tree with deep roots, unmoving, firm foundation, steady, not going anywhere. Listen, church, one of the blessings that we have in fearing the Lord and delighting in his commandment is despite the opposition, we can still remain steadfast and trust that the Lord is good and working. And let's be clear, there is real opposition. There is real enemies to the Lord. It is not getting easier for the church. It is only getting harder. We have been afforded certain luxuries, certain freedoms, certain all these protections in this country. There's no guarantee that those are going to be there forever. There are plenty of countries, plenty of churches that don't feel and, and, and afford any of the same. And so we know that opposition will continue and it will probably ramp up. We're going to see more. I can pretty much promise you that. Why? Because God's word says it's true. It's going to happen. It will come to pass. But we know this, the fate of the wicked is clear. And so we can, with confidence, trust that God is going to use it. He's going to shape. He's going to work. And we can be broken over those who are far from the Lord. And we can, with boldness, with confidence, share the hope and the good news and the joy and the blessing that's found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the markings of, the markers of the blessed life. But what I want to do, I just want to go back to the making of the blessed life. We talked about the fear of the Lord and the delighting in his commandments. I think if we were to frame these two things up, it really comes down to this. It comes down to attitude and action, right? 
the attitude to the Lord is that of fear and a delight in his decrees and the precepts, the things that he has set. And that leads us then to action. Because of that attitude of the fear of the Lord, we act differently toward him. We respond differently to the things that he has said. We listen and we obey to his commands. But in all of this, we have to understand that this is only understood and only ever realized in our life through the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, we do not preach, and I will never stand up here and give a do-better, try-harder sermon. So I am not sitting up here and saying, listen, if you want a blessed life, you need to try harder, right? You need to do better at fearing the Lord. You need to do better at delighting in God's commands. That is not what Psalm 112 teaches. In fact, it teaches that the way that we get there, the way that we find the fear of the Lord, the way that we find delight in the Lord is in being enamored with, being blown away by, being shaped by this God of promises. It begins with praise the Lord. We find the transformation comes in looking at and seeing God. So my job is not to say do better, try harder. My job is to remind you and to encourage you and for many of you teach you of what God's word says. Can I just remind you and encourage you of something? That God does not function in some transactional status, right? You and I do this. He does not. Rather, he transforms us through this relationship. When we choose to fear God and we delight in his commandments, we're participating in his purpose and they begin to resemble him more. He shapes us through those things. Listen, our God is a God of promises and we would do well the thing that's going to shape us and change us in this way would be to put our eyes on him. Let me kind of share it this way if I can. I brought this bag. It kind of represents, I think, the, the things that weigh us down, the, the trouble that we kind of walk through. And many of us, as we've been going through this series, have thought about these things. When I stand up here and I say, listen, God is always good. You think about this, and you're like, yeah, but what about that? Is he good in that? I say, God is always victorious. You're like, well, what about this? Is he good in this? Is he victorious in this? God is always present. He's always faithful. He's always that. Many of us have had this burden, and we've been walking with this, and we've been trying to reconcile, like, how do I deal with this and knowing that God is good? And the problem is, is we're too fixated. We're too focused on this. Whatever it is that we're carrying, whatever it is that we're burning down, our sin or the sin of others or our own shortcomings and understanding. Listen, we are born this way. Apart from the good news of Jesus Christ, which we understand that we are all broken, we are all sinful, we are all in need of a Savior, Jesus Christ died, and he gave his life, his perfect life, the life that we couldn't live, he gave up for us. And so we find freedom and forgiveness from this, from this burden in him. And what this passage is calling us to do, it says, listen, blessing comes when you don't focus on this, because the opposition is there, the difficulty is there, when you don't focus on this, but rather when you put your eyes on the Lord, when you fear the Lord, when you delight in his commandments and the things that he said. And so what he's calling us to do is he says, hey, just why don't you set that down and why don't you look at me and why don't you see what I've done and the work that I've already accomplished and my finished work on the cross and my love for you. And the more that we look at him, 
All of these things begin, he's the one who transforms us. And so what becomes, what feels like, I gotta muster up, I gotta grit this out, I gotta try harder, I gotta do better. What all of a sudden, what it becomes is I just have to shift my eyes off of the thing that's weighing me down and shift it to the God who's already overcome, who's already accomplished, who's already defeated, and then we find ourselves transformed by that. What did Jesus say to his followers? He says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He didn't say, go become fishers of men. He said, follow me. And I will become, he says, set, my eye, set your eyes on me and I will transform you. That's what he's saying here. Blessed is the man who puts his eyes on me by fearing me, by delighting in me. Then I will bring the blessing in his life. We worship the God of promises. We worship the God who blesses. He is so good. This is where we put our attention He's our source of strength. He's the place of transformation, and he is at work in us. Let's pray. God, you are so good, and your promises are true, and they are never changing. And God, we need them in our life. And so I ask, God, that you would help us to fix our eyes upon you, Lord, to turn our attention from all those things that would hinder, that would tie us up, God, that would burden us down. And Lord, that we would look to you, the author and perfecter of our faith. You've said in your word that you've given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And so God, we delight in that. Lord, we understand who you are and our attitude is one of fear and awe and reverence, and respect. And so, God, we ask that you will transform us in our thinking and our understanding. God, we pray that you will continue to shape us into the men and the women of God that you would have us be. God, you've extended your same righteousness to us, and we are unworthy, undeserving of it, and so we love you all the more for it. God, help us to remember and to believe that you are good, God, that your promises are sure, and God, that you are continuing to work. We pray all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.